Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Every Thursday night, we bring you the General, John McClain. Is it the soggy General tonight, or are you staying dry, John? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I spent four hours in a store, and then I was able to make it home, and I hope everybody's safe, even though I know most people aren't dry just amazing the way this happens to Houston, isn't it? It's incredible. I mean, this storm, you you want to talk about the scouting report being inaccurate. This thing should be in Tulsa by now, but it's hanging around. Unwelcomed guest just sticking around and dumping all sorts of rain on Houston, and it's awful. Something we won't have to worry about on Sunday. That's right. Although John Harris tells me that we're talking about temperature in the upper 80s for this one. So maybe all that outdoor practice is going to be good for the Texans. I think that um, if it's in the upper 80s, it's still L.A., and uh, I'm really fired up about seeing this stadium, Mark. I'm, in my 43 years of covering the NFL, I think that the smallest capacity I've seen was probably, oh, 50,000, and now we've got 27,000, and People talk about L.A. No, it's not L.A. It's Carson. It's south of L.A. And uh, I'm I'm excited about seeing it. I talked to Jalila Dye for a column I'm doing on Friday about playing there, and he said, surprisingly, it's a good atmosphere. Fans are right on top of the players. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of traveling Texans there. Well, I heard the media is going to love it more than just about any place they've been because they're so close. And, I think it'll be the smallest crowd the Texans will have played in front of since the Hall of Fame game in 2002. That was Fawcett Stadium at the time and pretty small. So, Oh, you're right. I forgot all about the stadium in Canton. That would be the smallest capacity I've seen. Yeah, but those games don't count, so it's uh, not the same kind of deal. I mean, this is this is a team that could potentially host a playoff game in that building, which is amazing, but that's the way it is. And, John, I don't want to go historic right off the bat, but I'm going to anyway. I wrote a piece about the history between these two teams, and there's a lot of history when you go back to the AFL because the Chargers started in L.A., and they played the Oilers in the very first AFL championship game in Houston because it was supposed to be in the Coliseum, but the executives felt, hey, there's just too many empty seat possibility shots, and they didn't want to show those on TV, so they moved it to Houston, and obviously the Oilers won it, but... Man, what a history between these two franchises in the 79 game. I know you were a part of that. They go way back. Sid Gilman was the coach. Sid Gilman eventually ended up with the Oilers about 11 years later, had the worst team in the league, made some trades, hired a former defensive coach at uh, San Diego named Phillips to come in and turn around the franchise. That worked out quite well. First time most people had heard of Bum Phillips around the country, known really well down here, of course, because he coached so much of his career in southeast Texas. And uh, that great playoff win in 79 over Dan Fouts and Eric Coriel when they were 20-point underdogs. Earl Campbell, Dan Pastorini, and Kenny Burrow were all out. That's still the biggest upset I've ever seen. John, AFC South tonight, before we get to the Texans situation, this is the immediate NFL action to discuss the Titans and the Jaguars as they will face off in North Florida. And just a bizarre set of circumstances with Jacksonville. You know about the backup quarterback. He was just here, Gardner Minshew, and the Jalen Ramsey story. All of the stuff hovering around Jacksonville. Just a strange deal. And I thought it wasn't 
a, a huge upset that the Colts beat the Titans in Nashville, but I thought it was an upset considering everything they had going on in Nashville prior to the game and coming in, riding high after a win over the Browns. Your thoughts on the whole situation? And that was a decisive win over the Browns in Cleveland, and it was a, a day in which the jerseys were retired for two of the greatest players in franchise history, Eddie George and Steve McNair, both of whom started their careers with the Oilers uh, here. And I thought they'd be a little more motivated, and they lost it. They've lost, like, I think they've, they're have they 2 and 16 against the Colts. Andrew Luck was 11 and 0 against the Titans. They just can't beat the Colts. That game last year, last game in Nashville, Titans win there in the playoffs. The Colts won decisively, and then, of course, came here and beat the Texans. And you'd think they would have had proper motivation to get a little revenge for that loss that kept them out of the playoffs. But no. You know, they get beat, and Marcus Mariota played terrible. Everybody's clamoring for Ryan Tannehill. And as far as the Jaguars, you know, they played as well as they could play. Great play by Justin Reed to stop uh, Leonard Fournette on that two-point conversion. I thought Minshew played very well for a rookie making his first start. And then Jalen Ramsey wants out. Everybody acts like they're going to trade, accommodate him immediately. And, boy, if these guys keep saying they want to be traded and they get traded immediately, that's setting a bad precedent. If I'm Jacksonville, I'm keeping him. I'm saying you just play your tail off. We'll talk to you about an extension after the season. And there's a good chance, of course, Doug Marone's going to be fired and maybe Tom Coughlin. And I saw some report today, Mark, that said Ramsey doesn't have an issue with Marone. He's got it with Coughlin. If that's the case, then you know what it's about. It's about money, money, money. Well, he showed up in a Brinks truck, right, to training camp. So that's a little bit of a of a statement right there, a little bit of a sign right there. All right, so, John, the running game for the Texans, I think that other than relative health here for the team, that is the most positive development is that they can run the football, especially considering they just got these running backs. They didn't begin camp with them, and with Hyde, they didn't even have them for a preseason game. So I think that's a, a pretty good development for this football team moving forward. 158 yards a game, 5.80 carry. Uh, 150 a game, 5.80 carry. And let's be honest, the offensive line's done a tremendous job of run blocking in both games. When I go back and watch them, I see holes. Carlos Hyde's done well. Duke Johnson's done well. But I tell you what, the run blocking has been good. Yeah, and I think that Maybe not a big enough deal has been made out of that, but I get it. You only score 13 points. They're probably not going to uh, do many national stories or whatever. People still look at the sack totals. But what about the improvement in the passing game? What are you seeing there, or what are you hoping for there as they move into L.A.? It always bothers me when people are going to be critical and then they don't try to find out why something happened. In the last game, clearly Deshaun Watson created two sacks. One, when he had a lot of time to throw, couldn't find a receiver, ran out of bounds, zero yards, but it's a sack. The other time, Nick Martin snapped it. He wasn't ready, fell on the ball. That's a sack. That's not poor pass protection. I think Roderick Johnson gave up one on a blitz, but on the other hand, it was tough because two guys were coming. He had to pick one, and he picked the one that didn't get the quarterback. 
And uh, so I think the line's improved. I think it's going to keep getting better. The run blocking's been good from the get-go. Darren Fells has helped it. And uh, I think it's going to keep getting better and better. The key is, when are we going to see the line with the same five players two games in a row? Yeah, two games in a row would be huge. And it sounds ridiculous to say that, but it would be at this point. They need to get some continuity brewing there. Now, the other side of the football, John, they did well against Fournette, obviously. And you pointed out the goal line stand or the two-yard stop on the two-point conversion. That was good to see. Now they go to L.A. and face the Chargers. What about matching up with this offense? Last time they played the Chargers, Philip Rivers threw three touchdown passes. Brock Osweiler threw three interceptions. They got beat. Now they don't have to worry about Osweiler. I found a couple of stats that were very interesting. Deshaun Watson did not have a touchdown pass in the victory over Jacksonville. In each of his first two seasons, he had one game when he didn't have a touchdown pass. So that means if that tradition continues, he's going to throw a touchdown pass in every game the rest of the year. People panicking about J.J. Watt. Watt hadn't had a sack in the first two games since 2015. Last year, he didn't have any in the first two games. He ended up with 16. So everybody's worried about him, needs to take a chill pill. And I think they know what they're up against. Phillip Rivers, he's got his receivers. He's got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, who played with Deshaun Watson. He's got running back by committee. It's working well. And, uh, of course, their defense is good. Their pass rush. They're, they're coming off as bad a game as you can play offensively. The Chargers are in Detroit. Two touchdowns called back. Rivers throwing interception in the end zone when they're trying to win. Fumble at the one-yard line. You know, the Texans would love for them to continue that kind of performance. But the odds are, Mark, they got it out of their system. Uh, both teams, the Texans and the Chargers, have played two close games, and they're both one and one, and I expect this will be more of the same. Two close games settled at the end. John, Phillip Rivers is the last man standing from that 2004 draft class when you have Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. Now, Manning could come back. Roethlisberger could come back. Rivers still going but I think it says a lot about these guys. And then you throw in Drew Brees from the class of 01. It says a lot about these guys that they've been playing for so long. Are we seeing that change of the guard finally here at the quarterback position? We have so many good young ones in the league, and maybe some of the older guys are getting ready to end their careers. Those old guys want to play into their 40s. One old guy is playing into his, in his 42, and he's the team is the best in the league. Brees will be back, they say, in November. He's 40. And we saw how he played against the Texans. He's not going away soon. Roethlisberger said he'll be back better than ever next year. Eli Manning's in the last year of his contract, so he's going to have a new zip code next year. I think there's so much money to be made. The rules are made to protect them. They're in such better shape. I don't think these guys are going away anytime soon. I think Phillip Rivers will play into his 40s. Aaron Rodgers. But you do have Mahomes and Watson and, and Lamar Jackson and young quarterbacks stepping up. And uh, they should. It's a passing era because of the rules that they are today. You know, in the 70s, it was all about running backs. And in this year, in this decade, and moving forward, it's going to be about the quarterback. There's some great ones. And the Texans, of course, glad they got theirs. John, before the season began, refresh my memory. Were you on Pittsburgh, Cleveland, or Baltimore in the AFC North? 
I picked Cleveland. I jumped on that bandwagon like everybody else, picked them to win the division, and I picked Pittsburgh, I think, to be a wild card. No, I did not. I had the Texans as a wild card, and I had the Chargers as a wild card. Okay, Steelers now without Ben Roethlisberger, but the Ravens are off to a good start. However, the degree of difficulty in competition doesn't appear to be that high. Wouldn't the Texans like to play Miami and Arizona in the first two games? And Lamar Jackson has thrown the ball very well, but everybody's acting like he's the next Mahomes. Let's see what he does in Kansas City against Mahomes. Then if he continues to play like that, then he's he's a legitimate big-time player already as Patrick Mahomes is, as Deshaun Watson is. I love watching these guys play. And uh, to me, Lamar Jackson being as accurate as he is throwing the ball down the field is the biggest single story in the league as far as players, not counting teams, but just players. And I should say, positive story. Yeah, positive stories, because a negative one is the Dolphins looking so horrible and just trading away virtually everybody that's meaningful to them. Xavier Howard's still there, obviously. And the Jets not looking good. Quarterback injuries have a great deal to do with that. But just bizarre when you have a player with mono. When does that happen? And then the backup, Trevor Simeon, gets hurt in the Monday night game. You know, Adam Gase hadn't reached out to the Brockster yet. He had him in Miami last year. He knows the system, but... uh, I hope Osweiler's not waiting by his phone because it's not ringing from Adam Gase. Yeah, not exactly. All right, John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? I am writing for Friday about Jalil Adai going back and playing for the team that cut him and uh, what it was like playing for San Diego and now playing in Carson and what it was like for the team and the players and and, uh, how much they respected him there. He was their leading tackler in the playoffs last year. They cut him. They drafted Nasir Adderley. He's third team. Derwin James, a great rookie. He's hurt. So you know they wish they had Jalil Adai again. John, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. Always fun to have the general on in the opening segment on Thursday's One Gigantic Hot Read. Brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, John Harris steps into the studio while I whine and complain about things going on around the league, and he tries to set me straight. Let's get into it on Texans Radio. Trying to stay dry here at NRG Stadium in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio across the hall from the locker room. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. All right, Johnny. We had the general on a little abbreviated visit today because, hey, the media wasn't here today. Yep. They, did, they didn't make it in because the roads were pretty bad, and understandably so. And the assistant coaches, the coordinator conference calls were held as conference calls instead of media gatherings in front of everybody. So here we are. Although Tim Kelly said everyone was focused and had good energy today. So that's positive. Well, that's good. I mean, look, there's certain things that are out of your they're out of your power in some sense. You can't you can't stop the rain. I mean, you can And I will say having just all afternoon, just refresh, refresh, refresh. And it was counterproductive there's nothing you yeah, can do i mean I we know. were inside we were dry we were okay so i keep looking at, at that, that point, radar and i'm like I know, this, I too. this is the worst scouting report i've ever seen i mean it's bad I, I, it felt like today i i remember before i went to bed last night i checked it again and it essentially was well a final day nothing much but you know, keep an eye on a line keep an eye on a line of these storms that are coming from the northwest and I was like, man, that doesn't seem right. 
That doesn't seem right. It didn't seem right. This storm should have been in Tulsa 12 hours ago. I, what did it do? Go back up and then come back down? It was bizarre. It's got so. these weird bands and dry, uh, moisture coming in from behind it. It was I'm like, bizarre. well, why? This storm has fans, has clouds that really adore it and are just sticking to it and continuing to rain. It's been awful, and I hope I know that so many are affected by it. I mean, yeah. it's really turned into something a lot greater than we ever anticipated, which Harvey itself was, by the way. Remember a couple of days before it hit, it was, eh, I don't know, yeah, or or three days maybe. I remember because we were on the broadcast and, and talking about it with the ABC 13 people, mm-hmm. and we all thought this is probably a lot of rain, but not that much rain, right. and it obviously turned into a, a big deal, a huge deal, maybe the biggest, well, one of the biggest in the history of this city. So anyway, they practiced. They're getting ready to go out to L.A., and wait. By the way, weather report for L.A. It's going to be pretty salty. Now, salty? What it, do you mean by that? It, I mean, I've seen L.A. as high as 89, Carson as high as 87. But it's a dry 89, Johnny. Yeah, I know. It's but, a dry heat. But of all the weeks to have this significant rain, the Texas could not get outside. I, I've been saying yeah. it from the beginning looking at the schedule. The only outdoor game you have for a few weeks is this one. You right. wanted to be able to get out on your grass and work out on your grass and work out outside and get a good sweat going outside, and you're not going to get that. But you are going to get one when you get to L.A. Now, in training camp, they, they know what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you didn't lose all of that. So you got to go out to L.A. and not make it about the weather. But I do remember when we went to New England in week three of 2017. Yeah. That was hot. It that was. was really, you never really know. That's the hottest I had been on the sidelines for a game because obviously we play inside here, and we had not really had a game where we started outside that in September that w- where you really worry about it. And then we went to New England. I was like, you know, New England week three won't be that bad. We got onto the turf, and I'm like, man, it's hot. It's the first time I didn't wear. I usually wear a pullover on the sideline, and I couldn't wear it. I was already sweating through all my stuff. Coach O'Brien was wearing a t-shirt, like kind of a dry fit shirt. And you know he always has a pullover. I mean, it was it was that it was that steamy. Down so that the was week three, two years in a row in New England, sixteen and seventeen. Yep, week three. and sixteen Up was there. the Thursday nighter. Mm-hmm. Was that cooler? Was that co- well? It was, it was that cooler. Night, so it was cooler. Yeah, yeah. it was cool. I don't night. remember it being. I remember I went for a run that morning of that game, and it was more than pleasant. More than pleasant. But then last year when we started the year off, it was like sixty-five. It was actually sort of chilly down on the side. It's, it was kind of bizarre. New England in September, no it's a mixed bag. You have no idea. And L.A. can sometimes be a mixed bag this time of year, I guess. You know, you're in September still, so. But sunny and 80, yeah, 80-something, I'll take it. Now, that's I, fine. I've I'll heard, that. Johnny, that the stadium, that we're going to love it. You know, we really? talked about it with McLean a little bit. Yes, that anybody who's in the media, fans going, well, think about it. If you're actually lucky enough to be at an NFL stadium, mm-hmm. There you are. It's 27,000 seats. There's not right. a bad seat in the house. It's a soccer stadium. Yeah. I'm really eager to see it. I've heard for broadcasters it is the best place to go because mm-hmm. it is close. Right. And you can hear stuff that you wouldn't normally hear. <laughs> it's not a roar. It's a cheer. Yeah. Although I like the roar. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I want to hear our war roar. So on the road, no roar is fine. I'm, I'm good. You know, if we have uh, even 3,000 Texans fans there, they can make a lot of noise. Yeah, that's They'll true. make a lot of noise anywhere, actually. Yeah, so. and I, I would imagine there'll be some traveling Texans going to this game. Uh, I've only been out to L.A. for regular season games mm-hmm. one other time. That was two years ago, 2017, to take on the Rams. And that was a drop in the bucket in a 100,000-seat stadium. This, yeah. you get 3,000 to 3,500 traveling Texans out there. Yeah. And by the way, I saw earlier in the week 
somebody asked Drew about wearing colors, and Drew was like, all capital letters, blue. I'm like, no, we're red. Yeah, well, he wear red. See, he was literally answering, and not Gen Z literally right. definition. You know, right. like my kid says literally, and he doesn't, in fact, mean literally. For he literally means, everything. He means figuratively right. when he right. says literally. <laughs> exactly. But Drew is literally answering the question, what color are they wearing? They wear blue on the road. I get it. Good. The Texans wear blue. But the guy's asking the question in order to find out what he should be wearing as right. a fan. And the answer is all usually, unless you're playing the Falcons on the road or the right. Cardinals, you're going to wear the battle red as a traveling Texan. Yeah. And we were at Fuddruckers the other night, and Deepy was backing up Drew. Like, oh, he's just he's answering the question. Yeah, I know he was answering the question, but that the question had a lot of layers to it. And the most important one was, what jersey should I bring to the game if I'm going out to L.A. to watch the Texans? Red. And the answer is red. Red. You got to go with red because the Chargers have navy blue in their history. Right. The Fouts era, by the way, next segment we're talking about that. Okay, oh, yeah. we're gonna go. Nice. We're gonna go the Vandermeer reality tour and the world of professional football for a little bit. Uh, anyway, th- you got to wear battle red if you're going to the game. I know this doesn't apply to too many red. people listening right now, but we just thought we'd throw that out there. Johnny Philip Rivers. <sighs> so. <sighs> I was watching some game tape. I was going full-on John Harris here and watching some game tape. And he can still zip the ball around pretty darn well. And yeah. In fact, last week, you know, I know he threw the pick at the end of the game, but mm-hmm. they had two missed field goals. They had a fumble oh. at the goal line. I mean, the goal line. if they're successful on two of those four possessions and still miss a field goal and have a turnover, they're winning that game by at least a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of it? What do you make of them? I it's hard because it feels like the Chargers are kind of that team that you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, they're the point. proverbial Forrest Gump box of chocolates. You have no idea what's going to happen with them because they can go to Kansas City on a Thursday night on a short week, go for two points and beat them 29-28. Same Gosh. team could lose to the Cleveland Browns a couple of years ago when the Browns were 1-15 and, and the Chargers were the one. And you just you just never know, and and I find it baffling because Philip Rivers is a guy known for his preparation, known for his consistency as a quarterback, seemingly, and yet they they can be kind of all over the place, and that that's scary because they've got a lot of talent. Now they've got a lot of talent missing in this game. Mm-hmm. Left tackle Russell Okung is not going to play. Melvin Gordon, unless something happens at the twenty twenty third hour, he's not playing anyway. He's out. Um, yeah. Now, that doesn't change what they've got with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. They're a pretty good running back duo. But you're without Russell Okung, your offensive line was not that great to begin with. You've got right. Mike Pouncey and a bunch of guys. So you got an opportunity there. Now, the receivers are very good. But if you're getting pressure, then you got a decent opportunity in this one. And on the defensive side, you can't let Boston Ingram wreck the game. That's clear. And Bill O'Brien talks about that all the time. We talk with Bill about that. Don't let those guys, he said, don't let Von Miller uh, wreck the game. Don't let Khalil Mack wreck the game. Don't let Boston Ingram wreck the game. So they've got to handle those guys. But they're giving up nearly 150 yards on the ground. And the Colts gashed them for 203. So they shorted up a little bit last week against Detroit. But you keep pounding the rock, pound the rock, you're going to have some inexperience at safety. Think about it this way. Derwin James, Adrian Phillips, Jalil Dye were their three starting sa- their three main safeties last year, two starters, and then you know depending on what they were starting in, they almost all three of them started in the playoff game. Right. Those three, those three guys were starters. 
James IR. Um, Adrian Phillips just got put on IR, and Jalil Adai is playing for us. So they could potentially mm-hmm. have an undrafted rookie starting Roger Teamer at safety. Sign me up for that. And the corner opposite Casey Hayward it could be Brandon Faison, who got picked on the last couple of weeks. It could be Michael Scott. Well, the best thing you said in all of that was running the football. Right. And I'll give you another one, opponent quarterback rating 100. So I like that. I always look at that number and say, okay, uh, opponents are completing 75% of their passes against the Chargers. So you know who it reminds me of? What's that? The Eagles. Really? The Eagles. Last year, because the Eagles had such a great front seven, especially the front four. But the secondary, everybody was banged up. Everybody was out. And teams were just picking on the secondary. So from that perspective, it kind of reminded me of the Eagles a little bit because the front's pretty good. Now, linebacker-wise, they've got some, some inexperience, but Denzel Perryman should be back a little bit. But the secondary is just beat to you-know-what. And that was, that was the way the Eagles were last year. And we had a lot of success throwing a ball against the Eagles, and so hopefully we're able to do that. But I don't know that this offense we're facing – Definitely does not have the offensive line the Eagles have. They don't have Sproles. And I don't know that receiver-wise that it's all the way there. They do have Keenan Allen. And that's going to be a tough matchup. He is tremendous. Coming up, your thoughts on tonight's matchup, plus my thoughts on this week's opponent. And, you know, a certain era of their history is a major reason why I fell in love with professional football. So we'll discuss that, among other things. And the fact that the Texans score two or more touchdowns in a game is big. They weren't able to do it last Sunday, but when they do it, you head to your closest jack-in-the-box the the next day for your free Texans Jumbo Jack with a large drink purchase. Just hit them up for that. Let's hope they get two or more touchdowns on Sunday. Many, many touchdowns. It's Texans Radio. Keeping you company, it's Thursday night, and we're trying to stay dry here in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. We hope you're safe. I know a lot of people are dealing with a lot of problems right now. Hopefully, we can be a diversion, keep you some company here. Leading you into the Titans and the Jaguars tonight. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Okay, so you have the Jaguars playing tonight with Jalen Ramsey, presumably. And the Titans coming off the stinging loss to the Colts. We talked about it with the general earlier, how they just can't seem to beat Indy no matter what the situation is. And the Jaguars, their nemesis, the Titans in town here. This is going to be interesting tonight. This is a circle of wagons game for the Jags. If there is such a thing. Yeah. Circle of wagons, Texans baby. fans should root for Jacksonville, right? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time last week with the Colts-Titans. I was like, I never really came to grips with who I wanted to win. Yeah, I know. Like, hmm. You just take it and then later on root for the yeah. other team or whatever. Yeah. Or whoever you need. Yeah, but. It's too early, really, for all this, but we kind of play the game, don't we? It would be nice because, I mean, the best, the best case scenario would be Jags win, mm-hmm. knock the Titans to one and two. Jags go to one and two. Mm-hmm. But they go to one and two. Everybody goes to one and two, or and those the, two go to one and two. And the Falcons beat the Colts on Sunday. The Falcons beat the Colts, and that gives you some insurance. So you you could end up with a one and two division. Everybody one and two. Yeah. Ouch. Oh boy, that's going to look ugly. It is. But I will stand by this. It's a tougher than you think division. Although I think so as too. I say that, then you're going to lose to the Falcons at home. Really, Colts? Well, I think the Colts. I mean, look, the Falcons beat the Eagles the other night on Sunday Night Television and Sunday Night Football. I mean, the, the Falcons have got some. They've got they great talent. That game could have easily gone either way. Right. There was a, a time there in the fourth quarter where I said, "Oh, the Eagles have this." But that Julio Jones catch and yeah. run, my 
goodness was yeah. tremendous. So. I mean, great block by Jake Matthews on the tunnel screen, oh, and he flattened the guy. I mean, it was it was he such almost a killed a guy. He did. Uh, offensive lineman just went crazy when they saw that, as well they should. When you see one of your own go out there and pancake a guy like that, and that springs Julio. But can I go bitter here? Sure. Can I be bitter, Mark? Of course you can. Mark is bitter. I'm going third person here about the Patriots living in the AFC East, oh, I, where they have for. A decade and a half where every other team Preach. is under 500 overall during the Brady-Belichick era. Not just in the division. So, yeah, the Patriots have something to do with it. But overall, Jets, Dolphins, Buffalo, all under 500. Individually, collectively, no matter how you slice it. Now, good for the Bills to be off to a 2-0 start. But the Patriots have four free wins there with the Jets twice and the Dolphins twice. Maybe the Jets can be a little bit better once Darnold gets over mono, mm-hmm. and gets back in action. But the Jets will be at New England this weekend, and the Patriots are favored by 75 points or something like that. Now, the good news in the AFC East is maybe there's something brewing in Buffalo. I'm not going to go over the top because the the Bills did come from behind to beat the, the uh, Jets mm-hmm. with Darnold, and then they put a pretty good spanking on the Giants. So the Giants yep. are abysmal. But they got two wins in the Meadowlands on the road. They go yeah. 2 0 on the road with the second year quarterback. How about that? You're 2 0 something on the road. We nice. saw that defense last year. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're a really good defense. And I think Josh is still, Josh Allen, quarterback, still got a little ways to go. But I texted Sal, Southern reporter, Sal Capaccio. He and I have got to know each other. And I watched that Bills, the end, end of the Bills Jets game. And Josh Allen brought him back. They were down 16 to 3. He brought him back, two touchdowns, threw one to Smoke Brown, and then got one in the end zone at the end. And I just said, you know, Josh Allen isn't pretty, but they're finding a way. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not the Patriots. But if the Bills can just get to a point where going into Buffalo for New England gets to be tough. That'd be nice. That'd, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. That'd, that'd be really It'd great. It'd be awesome. What's not awesome, though, is the fact that the Dolphins finished second in the division last year. Yeah, that's And who nice. finished second in our division? Colts. Colts. So yeah. the Colts get essentially a free win against the Dagum Dolphins. In and, and. Dang it. We were counting on them going into Pittsburgh and having to deal with Roethlisberger, and, and now are, they have to deal with Mason Rudolph. Right. And, well, if there's any good news in that, it's like, and Drew Brees is out. But they don't play Drew Brees until late in the year. And also the Titans don't play them until late in the year. So only well, one team will catch the Saints. Presumably without Drew Brees, and that's the Jags. Hey, so here's my here's my perfect scenario right. this weekend. My perfect scenario. <laughs> Jags win. Right. Eh, ugly. 7-6. Yeah. Whatever. Jags win. Friday, Jalen Ramsey's traded to Philly, Seattle, Minnesota. Any Wait, of those. But the word is Kansas City. I don't. I don't like the word. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to uh, like. Well, the word. that's that's a word I read. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't like no, that word. NFC, I don't want that to happen. NFC, please. NFC. The league's yeah. Just, the league's going nuts right now with all this stuff. This is a weird time. It really is. It. It. I've seen. You know, some people say it's you know the NBA come to the NFL sort of thing, and I mean, I guess I, I think I think guys, the NBA are, stuff is also a lot of free agent movement. You right. Know? Right. And this, it's it's been different. I mean, obviously, Antonio Brown's thing is just a whole different. Yeah, that's, that's a, a whole different, different stratosphere. But you know, Jalen, Jalen said something in his uh, press conference, and I, I listened to the whole thing. And if you do listen to it, by the way, if you don't like bad language, then don't listen. Uh, to don't it. listen because Jalen live is all the way live. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Jalen Lyon. He's, <laughs> but I, I love Jay, I love Jalen. He just you you know who he is. You know what he is. Yeah. And he balls. He balls out. I I, I don't. I mean, so Jalen said, and he was very demonstrative about this. He said, "We told the team we did not want this to get out. We told the team we did not want this to get out." Which made me think, are there other players that have done that and asked for a trade or asked to be moved? And it never gets out. The and it team never gets do out. It. And, no, and nobody does it. So, I, well, well, let's just put it this way. I think a lot of NFL leagues are agents. Okay. I think so, too. And Absolutely. look, if they told the team, if the agent is part of telling the team not to let it get out, I'll take the agent's word for it or right. Jalen's word for it. But often members within an organization might be a leak as well. You know, it's not sure. just the GM who might know about it. It's other people, and, right. they, and they leak it out. So who knows how this all got out. Anyway, the Jags, Titans, they'll get together tonight, Thursday Night Football. A lot of weird stuff going on in the NFL at this time of year. It's so early, it's hard to draw conclusions about anything. I will say this, though. I am excited about seeing the Chargers and the Texans get it on in L.A. And, you know, I brought it up at the general 1960 AFL championship. Mm-hmm. Chargers and Oilers. Oilers won that game. And they and were they, the L.A. Chargers. They then. were the L.A. Chargers for the first year of existence mm-hmm. before moving to San Diego. Now, Johnny, I know that McLean and, and everybody in Houston always talks about that 79 divisional playoff game with the Oilers and everybody banged up and going into San Diego and mm-hmm. Vernon Perry intercepting Dan Fouts four times. But I got to tell you, I became a fan of professional football in the early 80s, and the team that caught my fancy more than any other, because I would watch all the squads, and I really didn't have a dog in any fight. You know, I was going to school in Boston, but the Patriots were terrible, and I didn't care, and the team that really caught my fancy was the San Diego Superchargers. I'm telling you, Dan Fouts, Kellen Winslow, Chuck Mutsey, James Brooks, West Chandler, earlier John Jefferson, but by the time I got into them, it was West Chandler, Charlie Joyner. They were fun to watch. You know, Fouts was the first quarterback in the NFL to really routinely put up 300-yard games. Yeah. I mean, at one point, he went four consecutive 300-yard games. At the time, that was, are you kidding? This is insane. What is happening to our league? They're going nuts. And the rules had changed. You know, I yeah, think 1978. It was that the year. It was that 78. was the year. You used to be able to basically tackle a receiver anytime you wanted or something right. like that. They called it the Mel Blunt rule because Mel Blunt was such a physical specimen at 6'2", 210, playing corner. Right. And he would just maul guys at the line of scrimmage and be like, whoa, 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 we got to. And ironically, what team did that help more? Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh opened up their passing game to Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. Uh, in 78 and beyond. So it actually helped Pittsburgh, but it was Don Coriel coming in and bringing Air Coriel, as they called it, and it was it was revolutionary. I remember as a kid watching it, just thinking, wow, they're fun to watch. I mean, look at this guy making one-hand catches. I mean, John Jefferson was one of my favorite receivers to, wa- to watch, and then he was holding out for a contract. And later became a Packer. Right, exactly. And I'll never forget, I was lying on a couch, and they I want to say they announced it on Monday Night Football and said John Jefferson has been traded to the Packers, and I went berserk. They had James Lofton. They now had John Jefferson. They had a tight end by the name of Paul Kaufman and Lynn Dickey. That offense could score some points. Oh, yeah. Couldn't stop anybody. No. But that offense Forrest Craig. 
Uh, eventually I've, coached. Eventually, over. but yeah. that was it was Bart Starr up until yeah Bart Starr. That might have been Bart coaching those teams up until I think eighty four, eighty five, and then I think Lindy Infante took over for a little bit. Um, I think Forrest Gregg, then Lindy Infante. Uh, and then Mike Holman came after that and obviously turned the whole thing around with Brett Favre. Don but- Coriel, by the way, i got to look this up, but he might be – he's certainly one of the only, if not the only, coach to win 100 games plus at the college yeah. level and 100 games plus at the pro level because he was St. Louis Cardinals. That's right, folks. That's right, children. The Cardinals St. once Louis played Cardinals. in St. Louis in the <laughs> NFL. And he was the Chargers, and he was also at San Diego State before right. that. Yeah, I mean, I, that's awesome. I, I always love – Seeing guys, you know, like Jack Party went from University of Houston to the Houston Cougars, and seeing yeah. you know uh, Don Coryell go from San Diego State eventually to the San Diego Chargers. I mean, I, I thought that was awesome. I, I hated the fact that they never got to the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, because it. I think there were a lot of people that invalidated, in some sense, Dan Fouts' career, and that those Chargers teams and Don Coryell because. Well, they didn't win the AFC. They didn't even get to the Super Bowl. Well, they, so. went, they went to two AFC championship games. Right. It's funny because the Oilers go in 78-79, then the Chargers go in 80-81, and 81, yeah. and then divisional round in 82. That was a strike-shortened season in a 16-team playoff right. format that year. It was yeah. weird. And they were unable to beat Miami that year. Miami ends up going to the Super Bowl, beating the Jets in the AFC championship game. Right. Boy, I know all this stuff. It's kind of weird. Right. It's all, it's and all that year, back. the Redskins... Uh, won the Super Bowl, defeating Miami. Yeah. And they knocked off Gary Hogaboom and the Cowboys yeah. in the nation's capital. Yep, absolutely. Daryl Grant with a pick six. That was a big How about that, that? How yeah. about us coming up with this stuff? Anyway, History I, just, lesson. I thought I'd just go through that because that was a, a fun time for me. And I, I don't like San Diego. Any, I mean, I don't like the Chargers anymore. Yeah. Uh, I just like that era. And I think that's just part of it. You know, I was kind of a, a mercenary fan at that point. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got it, Mark. Thank you. Okay, not to make the show all about me, but I'm going to ask our next guest, who's part of Houston Methodist Minutes, about a personal injury situation I'm having right now. It's Dr. Coris Jafarnia of Houston Methodist West. Doctor, how's it going? Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, let's talk about elbow injuries. And Ben Roethlisberger and the speculation immediately went to the ulnar collateral ligament. And I know a lot of people suffer from injuries to this. So, what happens when you injure this ligament? Okay, well, let's start with the anatomy. It's basically a ligament on the inside of the elbow. The ulnar collateral ligament is a structure that's critical for elbow stability because it's on the inside where the throwers need this ligament the most. And these injuries can range from a mild stretch to a full tear. And it's really a, res- a result of sports injuries in this population that involves repetitive overuse and forceful motion such as that seen in throwers and in particular pitchers. But, of course, we're talking about throwers here in general. Okay, so if you need it surgically repaired, obviously they're going to put it back together. What is done in this case? So for surgery in this population, it's more of a chronic injury. It's not an acute tear from an elbow dislocation or something along those lines. It's more of an acute repetitive overuse. So there's no good tissue to repair per se. So what we do in surgery is we do a reconstruction where we take a tendon from another part of the body and perform a reconstruction of the ligament. We basically take that chronic uh, disease ligament out and we put a new tendon in its place. I was reading that Drew Brees might have an ulnar collateral ligament injury with his thumb situation. So how is that possible? There's another one down there? 
Yes, sir. So that's a little, it's a, a little different ligament than the one in the elbow. This is more so for the base of the thumb for gripping, such as gripping the ball for, as a quarterback. And, and it's the ligament that's on the inside part of your thumb when you grip. And that's very important for stability of the hand when gripping uh, large items. All right, so for the first time, I'm going to bring my own personal situation into Houston Methodist Minutes. My left elbow kind of hurts when I do push-ups, but I can do a curl no problem. So what might that be? Okay, so when you're talking about doing push-ups, you're using your triceps and the, the capsular and ligamentous structures around the outside and back part of the joint. And when you're doing curls, you're using mostly the biceps on the inside front part of the joint. So there are two different anatomic areas. I see. So I just have some soreness or something like that. Probably, or you may have, you know, what the beginnings of a ligament issue are. And, and, and such as with, with Ben Roethlisberger, or with, with the, the elbow ligament injuries, they start out as sprains, and then they progress to full tears. You know, it's grade one sprain, grade two sprain, and then grade three sprain, a full tear. So you may have the beginnings of an issue along the outside capsular portions of your elbow, or possibly your muscle that's around the elbow. I love the on-air diagnosis, or part of it anyway. And Roethlisberger, by the way, reportedly had complaints of inflammation before this took place. So that would back up what you're saying. And I think that's key to note. There were reports that he was having elbow pain, holding his elbow during practice. And, and that's that's really important if that happens for throwers in particular, overhead throwers, to, to stop, rest, take a look, You know, maybe get an MRI and see if there's any damage to the tissue already. Because if you can catch this as a grade one, which is no stretch to the ligament and just really pain and just a strain, you can rehab this quite easily. And even a a grade two sprain can be rehabbed as well. Uh, I think Carson Palmer had a grade two sprain in the past, the same ligament, and they just did rehab. He didn't have surgery, and he came back and was throwing again within, I think, three to four months. Great information, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Dr. Chorus Jafarni of Houston Methodist West. Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is hosting sports injury clinics Saturdays for student-athletes across greater Houston. They can get diagnosed, be evaluated by a physician, have x-rays or other imaging as needed. Log on to HoustonMethodist.org slash athlete for more information. The official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. All right, a couple of reminders for you. First of all, don't forget it's a 325 kick on Sunday afternoon. You don't want to, well, actually, if you show up early, you'll say, oh, I got some extra hours here. So I'll listen to the pregame show at 1225 on Sports Radio 610, the Texans app, and all of our affiliates. Hey, calling all Houston area teachers if you want to bring a little Texans football to the classroom. Sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by Phillips. It's a video series designed to help third and fourth graders how to tackle math in the classroom. HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. All right, that's going to do it. Texans Extra Points followed by Texans Buzz Saturday night on ABC 13 right after the news, which is right after the big college football game. Texans All Access tomorrow night at 6. I'll have Bill O'Brien, John Harris hosts. Have a great night, everyone. Stay safe, stay dry if you can, and go Texans.